The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, continuing our team previews for the 2023 fantasy baseball season. We head to the NL East through the Atlanta Braves, a juggernaut of a team in recent years, you know, World Series a couple years ago, contending again last year. And uh, when it comes to fantasy, just roster top to bottom has some kind of impact at some point in time, it feels like. So it's a great, great team to break down for the season. In order to do so, special guest of the show, friend of the show, Gentlemen, I got the pleasure of meeting in Arizona in person, let alone having pod many times and whatnot. Great guy. He has the wonderful podcast, the Toolshed Podcast with Eric Cross, writes Fantasy Pros. He's the lead dynasty uh, analyst at PitcherList.com. And he has this new venture that you guys have probably heard of. It's called Dynasty Dugout. It's absolutely outstanding. Guys, one of the hardest workers out there, especially in the Dynasty game. Mr. Chris Clegg at Roto Clegg on Twitter. How are we doing, my friend? Well, I appreciate the awesome introduction, as always. It's uh, good to chat with you. Uh, one of the best people in the industry. You're the, one of the first people that brought me on a pod, as a lot of people in this industry can say, which is you know a lot of fun. But I bought my first microphone because of you when you invited me on Bench with Bubba. So I went to Best Buy and bought a Yeti, and kind of the rest is history, man. So it's been a, a fun ride over you know, three years' time now, I guess. So started in 2020, right before the pandemic, and golly, it's... Uh, it's been a heck of a ride, man. Yeah, it's amazing. You made it through the pandemic. That's good. You persevered. <laughs> you persevered. You picked the, I think you tweeted it or said it on a show or something. I don't know. I talk to you or see stuff from you all the time. Is uh you said I picked a heck of a time to be an analyst because you had COVID and then you had like the different baseballs, like then you had the shortened season. Like you've had something every year to like be in a roadblock, basically, to being an analyst. And it's a uh, you, you persevered, my friend, and it persevered into Dynasty Dugout. So the floor is yours. Let people know what you got going on in your substack over there. Sure. Yeah. So uh, kind of launched my own thing on top of everything else that's going on in my world. But uh, 
basically just looking for an outlet to do more dynasty stuff. So at the dynasty dugout, it's dynasty dugout.substack.com. So it's a substack and uh, I have a lot of free content, but also some paid content. So if you want to subscribe, it's free to subscribe. You'll get the daily emails of writing that I do. And then, you know, paid subscribers also get, you know, my top prospects, top dynasty ranks, top FYPD rankings. I'm building a dynasty ADP system. I have 14 dynasty mock drafts that are kicking off tomorrow that will, or I guess today as you're probably listening to this, but uh, we'll be creating a dynasty ADP system. That'll be on there. Got a lot of cool features. Like you can connect it with your fan tracks league to see like the best available players, like based on my rankings. It's kind of like Rotowire has, but you can utilize like my prospect and dynasty rankings and you see that fan tracks upload sheets, like to upload your dynasty league, you name it. I just wanted to be like as personal as I could with this stuff. And, you know, we've got a cool discord going on. So a lot of good dynasty chatter in there. So if you want to check that out, feel free to do so. Like I said, free to subscribe, but also a paid subscription as well. And I you know, always appreciate any support. So appreciate all those that have subscribed so far. Yeah, I highly recommend it for you dynasty players out there. Chris is one of the good ones, and he puts his time in, which is always worth uh, supporting at another level if you're playing dynasty. So I, I definitely would uh, check it out if you can. But we also have him on today because he is an Atlanta Braves fan. He follows the team very, very closely. If you've seen him on Twitter, he's tweeting out, you know, I've got tickets available if I can't make it, or he's been to games. He's got great seats when he goes. Um, so he knows this team inside and out, especially this young group that's there that's going to be signed for the next, it feels like 45 years because, you know, they have a great GM in place in Anthopolis. It's just uh, amazing what the Braves have going on here. But we're going to go through hitters and pitchers like we usually do on these team previews. And we'll start at the top with Mr. Ronald Acuna Jr. And since January 1st, he is um, – the second in ADP, but he's gone as high as one, as low as four. He's like a he's in the conversation every time it's discussed at, at the position. Came back last year off the injury. Power was down a bit, but the steals were up, or at least more than most expected coming off the injury. The bad average was down a bit too, but there were some like positive things to take away as well. So heading into 2023, Chris, assuming we're assuming he's healthy now. Are we thinking full go? Because like a few years ago, it's like this is a 40-40 dude. Are we back on like expecting the world from Ronald Acuna? I think so, and I do think that there was definitely some timidness with him returning from that ACL injury, and it was really apparent with him in the field. Like he just wasn't moving around as well in right field, and you know, that's I have partial season tickets, so I'm there a good bit, and my seats are right out there down the third baseline, so I get a pretty good view of him in the field, and he just wasn't aggressive at all, and I think there was just a lot of hesitancy for him to really just – you know, because he got injured on a play in the field. So it's like he just had that hesitancy. There's a lot that, you know, really hinges with power with that push off leg. And I think being fully healthy, we should expect the power to come back. I mean, you would look and his contact rates were the best of his career last year. The stolen bases were quite a pleasant surprise. He had 29 and he came back late in the season, not late, but he's, he only played 119 games and still stole 29 coming off an ACL injury. That seems pretty significant. I think that there's easy 30 stolen base upside, especially when you think about the changed environment this year. So we have totally different stolen base environment. 40 is not the realm of possibility. And I think the 30 home run powers back. So he's one of the few players in the game that I think could have that 40-40 upside. But 30-30 is also reasonable, and that's pretty darn good. So I think yeah. you'd be thrilled with that if you get it. Yeah, no, we're back to the Ronald Acuna season. I think I took him 
in one draft recently instead of Trey Turner at the second pick, which was a big uh, thing for me, for someone that's a big Trey Turner fan. But it's like eighth goes J-Ram, then Acuna for me at this point in time. And a lot of that's also because of the kind of outfield issues that many have talked about on many shows that it drops off in a weird way compared to years past. So Ronald, a healthy Ronald Acuna, um, and it's kind of funny because it was before the injury, he was like most would consider the dead number one. Like it just he was the guy. And then he, you know, he gets hurt and everyone's kind of like, well, you know, you got you got J Ram, which is fine. You got Aaron Judge. Like there's argument, like people are starting to make more discussions. Like this guy was legit the guy everybody wanted at one. And now we're trying to find a reason not to take him at one. So I'm I'm hoping he's back. I think he's back. I'm with you. I'll I'll take the chance on him being back. Let's go to second base for another guy that we hope is back in uh to normal this year. It's Ozzy Albies, who missed most of last season with an injury. He looked off even before he got hurt. Things just weren't like he was kind of playing through it. It looked seemed like the way he was hitting the ball, like without the quality of contact we're used to with him, the power wasn't quite there. It just suffered all around. And um, and now he, and then he missed the rest of the season. And he's supposed to be back and healthy this year. But um, this is a guy that seemed like he was starting to really get to peaking before he got hurt. Like he kept improving year after year after year. And now he takes he took a step back. Are we in on Ozzy Albies maybe coming back to that Ozzy Albies form? Or is there any concern for you? Yeah, his price is pretty depressed too, which is nice. Like he's not going as you know one of the super high end second basemen. I know he's at the top, but there's kind of a you know a variety of guys going in that range. But you're not having to pay a second round pick for him like you had in the past, and for good reasons. I mean, you mentioned the injuries, but also the fact that it was just a poor performance kind of all around. And I think a lot of that stemmed from a really high O swing chase rate. It was over forty five percent, which is just like dangerous on like that's Javi bias range and yep. you don't want that at all i do wonder if in part like especially early in the season when they didn't have acuna if he was pressing a bit like trying to be the guy because without acuna in the lineup he he was trying to do too much and i think that did lead to some chase he's always been a higher chase rate guy we've seen him high 30s but he's made it work still i don't think we should expect a good average from him but we got to remember in 2021 30 home run, 20 stolen base guy, 103 runs, 106 RBIs. Like, that's an elite four category producer, and a 260 average isn't going to kill you. So, my expectations aren't quite that high, but I do think that he rebounds in a strong way because there's other metrics that support that he had a, a improved season on the contact, like in, improved zone contact, right? It was up from 81.5% in 2021 to 86.3 last year. The overall contact rate was up. The biggest thing was he just hit, hit the ball on the ground more, which is also something I kind of failed to mention with Acuna. But Acuna's ground ball rate spiked when he returned. And I think it's worth mentioning that with that injury, like the inability to lift the ball consistently is is very notable. So, no, I think I've got to ask that question a couple of times. But, no, I don't expect Acuna's ground ball rate to – because it went up to like 47%. Yeah, it, it jumped big time, yeah. I don't expect that to be the norm. And with Albies, like his jumped and was still you know, 37%. The biggest difference that we saw with him is just you know less line drives and fly balls. So naturally, there's going to be more on the ground. His home run to fly ball rate was down. But again, this was an odd season for him where he was just banged up and then he missed significant time with like fluky injuries. The report came out yesterday that he has had no restrictions all offseason after he had the fractured pinky at the very end of the season. It's another fluky injury that kept him out. Um, but I ultimately think that he's going to be fine. 
I, personally, I wish he would just like stop switch hitting. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. I mean, it's like the Cedric Mullins route. Like he's just not yeah. a good switch hitter. Like if he would just strictly become, you know, a right-handed hitter, like he's a 328 career hitter from the right side. Crushes lefties, man. <laughs> It's it's insane, and now we don't know what that would look like if he was you know batting right against, against righties, righties yeah. but he's still like a, a two fifty career hitter from the right side. So I'd be interested to see like if he just stuck at the right side, like what he could do. I don't know if that's even in the plans or not, but I'm certainly back in on a bounce back here. I mean, just turned twenty six years old earlier this month, so he hasn't even entered the peak of his career. I think this lineup's going to be back to its like fun old ways where they just enjoyed baseball and had a blast like the, the world series year like we saw when they're especially when they're all healthy and so the pressure's off albies i think this year the expectations are a lot lower so i think it's he's kind of primed to perform yeah he's got an adp around 55 since january 1st in dc's fourth uh, second baseman off the board so it is interesting i'm with you like at worst you get a 2020 potential guy like the biggest concern i guess i always have with albies i had it with swanson also it's where do they hit in that lineup because we know it does suffer a lot when they hit farther down. Like roster resource has him hitting like sixth right now. Obviously, we'd love him a second behind Acuna in front of the big dogs. Um, and that could still change. Right now, they have Michael Harris second. We'll talk about him in a minute. There's a lot of moving parts that could take place there. Because that's happened in the past. We've seen like Albies and Swanson like flip-flopping all the time. And that, that can be something to keep an eye on as well. So I love Albies. I've always been the team Albies. I've been looking at the buyback there. Uh, him and a couple other guys at second base. So you can definitely look for a potential um, – spike from as you said so uh, i like the albies call quite a bit uh let's go to third base and this is a fun one because austin riley you know he's he had that big big 2021 hit 303 33 homers and i was like oh he can't do that again well there's mainly the average sure he still hit 273 totally fine very very good and then he had 38 home runs and improved on his uh walk rate and, st- and strikeout rate at the same time so like after two seasons of seeing this from Austin Riley, I'm a believer. I'm like, this is a really, really good hitter. Uh, what's your thoughts on Austin Riley? I think he just is who he is at this point. And I think people still haven't really fully bought in, which is nuts. But you mentioned between 2021 and 2022, I mean, we're looking at a 288 hitter averaging 35 and a half home runs per season. It's pretty elite. Smokes baseballs, hits a ton of line drives. And that's kind of the recipe for success for – a higher batting average and you don't look at Riley and think of him as a high batting average player, but he's going to sustain higher BABIPs. Now, of course he didn't sustain the 368 that he had in 321, but this past year, 315. And I think that you could probably see the BABIP even go up a bit. So probably pulled his batting average up a, a bit too, just because of the amount of line drives that he hits the, how hard he hits the ball. I mean, absolutely just smokes baseballs all over the park, and he's going to get to plenty of power. He's 25 years old. I know that we keep talking about age on these guys, but they're all so young. Riley will be 26, like right around opening day. So prime of his career, I don't really see this going anywhere. Like I don't see him declining at all because just looking at the profile and who he is, nothing suggests that there's regression coming. I mean, he even improved – the zone contact rate was 86% last year. That's – Really, really good numbers there. Across the board, Riley just checks all the boxes. And even though he doesn't provide any speed, I mean, he stole two bases last year, and that was the only time he's stolen any (laughs) in his career. That's okay, because with third base being a complete wasteland, like you're going to be thrilled with the production you get from Riley. And 
I think this is just super sustainable. I mean, even last year, last year improved his uh, average exit velo by two and a half miles an hour, career high near 16% barrel rate. I mean, there's a, a season in here where he gets 300 S40 home runs. Yep. So, so the, fu- the funny with Riley is the more I've dug into different players this offseason, um, like it's, it's a flaw of, I think, many fantasy players. I know I've, I was a flaw of mine for a while. I totally talked about how I've changed my approach a bit this year, but I've always thought, okay, early rounds, I got to have steals, got to have steals. But you look at guys like Pete Alonzo, Jordan Alvarez, and Austin Riley, and everybody like loves Alonzo and um, and Jordan, but Riley kind of gets this like, well, I don't know, like treatment. But if you look at the improvements, like you said, Alonzo's doing the same improvements for like three or four years. Now it's just been a couple more years, but they are who you are. Like you're saying, these are power bats that hit for very good average. And it's because they hit the ball so hard. They have a lot of line drives. They all do all the things you were saying. So the more I'm basically saying, the more I've looked in to Austin Riley, I'm seeing a lot of similarities in the Jordans and Pete Alonzo's that I like to see in these types of hitters. And it makes me a lot more confident in the, the player that he should be year in and year out that makes him worth the, you know, around 20, 21st pick in drafts right now. Now the fun really begins. One of the most controversial Atlanta Braves in fantasy right now is Michael Harris II because he had a monster, monster debut, 114 games, went straight from double A to the bigs. It's a, it's a Braves thing. 19 homers, 20 steals, 297 average. Like nothing could go wrong for this guy. Played good defense, like just really, really good ball player. Slotted to hit second this year. You know, he's got an ADP of like 27. So he's a second round draft pick in 15 teamers right now. You got to pay for him. The question I have for you, Chris, is he worth paying for in his – it'll be his first full season. 114 is pretty full. I'll give him credit for that. This, and he was a rookie of the year, so full enough. Um, this will be his first starting out the gate season with the Atlanta Braves. Are we paying that price when there's guys like – well, I won't even mention There's other guys behind him with similar profiles. He's interesting, and I think that there is some regression coming. But I'm not sure it's going to be in the ways that people think. I think people think the power's a bit of fool's gold when you look at his overall profile. But when you look at like exit velo leaderboards, Michael Harris like stands out a lot. His 90th percentile EV in the majors last year was 108.3, which was like ahead of like Raphael Devers, Shohei Otani, like Matt Olson, like. Bryce Harper, all these guys, you name it, like his 90th percentile exit velocity was above them. And in the minors, like this was no fluke either because in the minors, his 90th percentile was 109.2. That would have put him in the club ahead of Mike Trout, Austin Riley, Julio Rodriguez, Pete Alonso. So the power is legit. Like he absolutely smokes baseballs. And you don't really think that when you just look at him. Like his profile doesn't really seem like that type. I think the power's definitely there. Like, I'm seeing 25 home runs out of him. We know the speed is there. Like, he's very efficient on the base pass. I think the biggest question for a lot of people is, you know, is there going to be significant batting average regression? We saw a 24.3% strikeout rate, and he hit the ball on the ground a lot. So can he make those two things work? There's platoon risk. I think people see that as well. So... Some people are going to question, can he stick in the lineup against lefties? And it's a legitimate question, I think, when we really think about it. And and that's something that's super important to think about at this draft price. You can't afford to draft a platoon player in the second round. He's at 27 overall. Like, There's just no way you can do that. And so you have to really think about these 
potential options. Now, the the positive thing is he plays Gold Glove center field, so I think that's going to keep him in the lineup consistently, and hopefully that'll be good enough to pretty much let him play every single day. And you go back, and I've tried to examine like was were there these split issues in the minors. And yeah, I mean, we're I'm seeing the same thing. Like he did have struggles against lefties in the minors as well. So could this be consistent? Maybe, but I do think there's room for improvement. We're all looking at somebody that was kind of thrown in the fire, and he was 21 and absolutely dominated in ways that we couldn't have expected. Yeah. And when I go back, and I went back to 2021, and the numbers are actually a lot better against uh, left-handed pitching there where he slashed 296 369 418 so that looks a lot better now that was also when he was a high a so something to think about but when i look at harris i do see a player that improved throughout last season we saw the ground ball rate while it was really high he did trend the right direction in august and early september that kind of spiked a bit towards the end of the season and he kind of went back to who he was but I legit think that Michael Harris is a 2020 bat I think there's more power than than 20 home runs but I also think that we probably while he does make good contact he's probably not a a 297 hitter I think we're looking at probably a a 270 hitter so whether you confront that at that draft price or not is it's up to you whether the power speed outweighs that or not and where he is in the lineup he he could hit second on against righties, but against lefties, he's going to hit the bottom of the lineup. Like maybe him and Albie switch spots, basically. Yeah, right. And there's yeah. also a lot of depth throughout this lineup. So yep. early season slump, he drops down. And these are all factors to weigh and consider. Yeah. I, I do think that Harris will be legit, but how legit, I guess, is the question. That's the million-dollar question. That's why it's like, okay, we know his talent's great. We saw it last year. If he did it for a whole 162, that'd be freaking amazing and be, be worth every bit of pick 27. There's no questioning that either. But it's like, for me, like I'll, I'll throw some quick ones out there, and you don't have to go deep on them. Just like basically yes or no's. Would you rather take um, – this is where like I, I, the conundrum I come to. Would you rather have Michael Harris at his pick 27, or would you rather go with uh, – where does he go here? Randy Rosarena at 37. Feel a little better about a Rosarena's safety. Uh huh. Well, that's part of my thing. Like it could, they're both the power speed combos. Maybe the average is a bit different, but safety, hundred uh, percent. And then you also talk draft price. Like, okay, so you have um, Harris at twenty seven. You have said Mullins at forty six. I may probably go Harris there. I just the power I think will be pretty significant difference, but it'd be interesting. And then last one, um, you have Harris at twenty seven or Adelise Garcia at fifty eight. <laughs> That one's fun because I'm afraid that yeah. he's just going to fall off the cliff, but he's been so good. He's like back to back here, he's like a speed machine. It's hard to argue against because he's been it's two straight years. But I'm like just looking at the underlying metrics, like he's going to fall off, but yep. who knows when? So, yep. man, I, and the price is great if he I doesn't know. fall off. <laughs> right. So at the price, like I probably would take uh, at least there. Yeah, that's why it's just it's just it's nothing against Harris. And people like kind of get all mad if you kind of downplay him. It's like the dude's super good. We're not saying he's not. It's just the risk reward factor, like at that point in the draft to pick 27, you know, you got guys going around him. You have Emmanuel Classe, Sandy Alcantara, DeGrom, Lindor, Strider, Hater, or like you have a bunch of dudes going around that you know what you're getting from them. 
like you know you can almost write down right now within like a you know five percent on either side this is what we're getting um where harris is just such a wide variance at that point in the draft so what what kind of risk are you going to take? But we won't make this the Michael Harris podcast. Mm-hmm. We'll move on. Um, it's just such a polarizing name in fantasy right now but for many good reasons. Uh, we'll go to the fifth Atlanta Brave that is getting drafted in the top 55 in the NFPC, which is just insane when you start penciling that together. And that is Matt Olson, who has an ADP around 45. First year in Atlanta last year, 34 bombs, hit 240, drove in 103. That's Matt Olson, folks. He had that monster year in 2021. It was an amazing year. But what you got last year was Matt Olson on a better baseball team, but this overall profile was the same as almost every other year. You've seen him. Still a better batting average than usual, but, I mean, uh, uh, strikeout rate. That's who he is. There's nothing wrong with that. So what's your thought on Matt Olson? I think he's honestly being a bit undervalued after last season. I think people were a bit disappointed because he hit 240 and only hit 34 home runs. But I, I would say you got what you paid for in pretty much every aspect, and you shouldn't expect it him to hit 271 again but in a vacuum i do think that he's a fine pick knowing the batting average risk you're going to get everything else you're going to get elite power you're going to get the runs and rbi out of him i mean despite the downturn in batting average from 2021 i would still say his first season in atlanta was very respectable especially considering the shoes he had to step into and Braves fans put a lot of pressure on him, more than he deserved. Freddie Freeman's shoes were big, big, and nobody wanted to be the guy to replace him. I mean, they signed, they traded for Olsen. They signed him to a huge extension, and, and the fans' expectations were really high early in the season, and to the point where I think it got in his head a bit. Local Georgia boy, too, so like yeah. a lot of pressure to perform. I think his second year, having Acuna back in that lineup, while the lineup was still deep, that just adds another factor to it, and I think that he's going to just kind of hit the ground running this year. And I think we're just going to see vintage Matt Olson, where he's pretty much a lock for 35 home runs, a ton of running RBI. And I think the average could fluctuate between 240 and 260, somewhere in that range. Yeah, no, I have nothing nothing against that at all. If you build your roster around it, he's a phenomenal play that you, again, you know what you're getting when you draft Matt Olson. So that's a, a beautiful thing as well. Uh, let's head to the catcher, your new catcher, one Sean Murphy who came over from the Oakland A's, most plate appearances by any catcher last season, well over 600. But how's that going to play with him as your starting catcher for fantasy, but also with Travis Darnold in town, who's obviously not going to get, you know, just benched either? Yeah, I think people are kind of overplaying the fact that Murphy's just not going to get plate appearances. They wouldn't have traded for him and signed him if they weren't going to make him the everyday catcher. And we got to remember, Travis Darnold has a long history of injuries. He's about to be 34 years old. How I don't know how long his knees can really sustain being behind the plate. Now we've seen him be, you know, very good. I mean, he's been a solid fantasy catcher from what we've gotten out of him the last few years. But again, 2021, he spent a ton of time hurt. He bounced back this year and had 426 plate appearances. But I think this benefits both of them in a, in a big way because when you look at the profiles. Dierno is going to benefit from being in the DH role and catching a couple times a week. Murphy's durable enough to handle catching five times a week. And it's even important to remember that last year, Murphy DH'd a good bit with Oakland. I mean, he yeah. called 116 times, but he still DH'd 30 games. And 
I think I suspect that to be the case. Like Atlanta doesn't really have a true DH in there. Like Ozuna's bat sucks. I don't see him as being the TH option. So if Murphy's not catching, he's going to be in the lineup as a DH. So I still suspect that we get a ton of plate appearances out of Sean Murphy again. Does he eclipse 600? I don't know because that's rare for a catcher. Yeah, but that's tough for any catcher. <laughs> yeah, but give me 550 out of him all day, yep. and the power is going to play significantly better than it did in the Coliseum. I mean, Oakland is a terrible place to hit, and he's actually got a supporting cast around him. I mean, on base for him too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, like, <laughs> yeah who, who knew this could happen? But yep. I, I think Murphy could be in for a career year, and I think we saw that in a way last year. It was his career best year, but. I think the average ticks up. I mean, the numbers just don't really back a 250 hitter when you're looking at a 78% contact and a 85% Z contact. I just see a, a hitter that gives me a better average than this, especially when he's 20 plus percent line drive, healthy home run the fly ball. I don't know. I, I think 22, I think he could approach 25 home runs with a 260 average, which Be really in good. that lineup, mm-hmm. pretty enticing. Yeah, that would play very, very well. Yeah, he's been a conundrum for me, so it's good to hear kind of a Braves perspective on that situation because I've always – you said one of the best points, many good ones, but they traded for him for a reason, and they extended him for a reason. They're not going to platoon him, which happens no. there. So no. that's a very, very, very valid point to make in that scenario. Yeah, that yeah. narrative will just go away. Yeah, that, that's a good one. That crappy bat you talked about, though, Marcelo Zuna, he <laughs> is supposed to be back in action to start the season. <laughs> and it's a weird one with him because ADP is 333. I've had a lot of drafts where it gets to that point in the draft. I'm looking at him going, this dude wasn't that far removed from like a 25-plus home run dude. Like, he always had power. The average was shaky from time to time. He's just a dummy, but I'm not going to get into that issue. But um, the dude could hit when he could hit. Now, the question is, can he hit? What's your thoughts on Ozuna coming into the season? Because for now, he's going to be starting for the Braves. Well, I mean, he almost has to because they're paying him. I mean, his contract definitely warrants playing. And unfortunately, they're not going to be able to salary dump him to anybody. I think they tried it at the deadline last year. Just wasn't happening. I'd be shocked if anybody takes on. I mean, he's got two more years at 16.3 mil each. Ooh, no. When, he, when he's coming <laughs> off the two seasons that he's had, yeah. not likely. But then you look back at the 2020 season, and while it was shortened, I mean, the dude did hit 338 with 18 home runs and 267 plate appearances. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. I don't know. I'm like, 
it's weird because part of me thinks that like he's just not really wanted in the clubhouse. He's kind of forced to be there. Yeah. Uh, maybe an off season of mending can kind of help this. But again, we're looking at two straight seasons of him doing stupid stuff and yep. there's not any way to kind of go around that. Nope. The power was there. He hit 23 bombs last year. So as a late round power flyer, then there's a chance. I mean, yeah. he, he plays a terrible left field, but he's going to get reps out there. The Braves have signed a ton of guys to minor league deals that have a chance to make the roster in left field, but I just don't really see any be anybody but him or Eddie Rosario bearing a surprise trade. So you're probably right. Ozuna's going to get reps in left, and he's going to get reps at DH. So what can we expect? Hopefully better than last year. I mean, yeah. even if he just bumps closer to a 240 average, as late as he's going, there's power. And gosh, he was staring me down in the face at like 4:15 at DC the other day, and yep. I just didn't do it. I was like, "Why? I should have." But yep. that that's late. What, that's what I'm saying. Like his ADP is 3:30, 3:40, but he falls in a lot of drafts. And you're, I, I've done it so many times, and I'll go around, and, he, and he's there again in the next round. I'm like, dude, like, because I know in the back of my head, I wouldn't be shocked if somehow he has 30 home runs, just because yep. that's like he's this talent's there. Because you said he had 23 last year. If somehow that average increases a bit, like 30 might be crazy, but it's not insane. Let's put it that way. Like it's it's doable. And then you mentioned that offense. If he starts doing that in that offense, like goodness gracious, what he could do. At the same time, the dude could fall off the map and be platooning with God knows who. And that could be a whole other situation. But again, you're not paying the price for him anymore, which is interesting. Um, you mentioned another name there in Eddie Rosario. Let's jump to him real quick. Um, he's going to like 470, almost 480. Um, and with, with him, it's interesting because – used to be a, like a perennial power speed dude. It's kind of been a weird injury riddled slash platoon situation in recent years. But you mentioned like they, the Braves signed a lot of minor league guys to play the alpha. But right now they're minor league guys unless spring training changes things. So Rosario's kind of got a role for now. So how do you look at him entering the season? Yeah, I think you're right. I, I don't see Sam Hilliard beating him out. I don't see Jordan Luplo beating him out. All these guys that they've, I forgot they picked up somebody else random the other day that is going to get a spring training invite. Oh, they've got Kevin Pillar. They've got Eli yeah. Y. Like all these guys, like these just guys that never made it. Really, I, I don't see. I just don't see it. I mean, no. it's strangely enough, Eddie's still a fan favorite because of the World Series run. Oh, that was an amazing run, man. I mean, he was so elite during that playoff run, and I think that kind of bolstered the expectations a, a little too high, but also. It's important to remember that he started last year and he was like literally blind. Like yep. he, he missed a significant chunk of time because he had to have eye surgery. He couldn't see for the first like month of the season. Like, why were you out there anyway? <laughs> it was it was weird, but he came back and he still didn't produce afterwards. But it's pretty evident. Like you look at the numbers and you're like, yeah, I'm I can see that he he couldn't see. I mean, the contact rate dropped from eighty two point two percent in twenty twenty one to seventy point six percent last year and he's been consistently around 80 percent so maybe that ticks back up i mean the zone contact was down as well i'm hopeful that he does have a bit of a rebound and there's some intriguing speed there's not a lot of power in the profile but he's somewhat intriguing from a power speed late round guy and i mean even if he just gives us a 260 average which is what we saw the previous two seasons before and he's he's a career 270 hitter so I think a bounce back possibility is there. I'm not fully counting on it. I 
wish the Braves would go out and trade for a top left fielder, but I don't think they have the pieces to do so. So the last two guys we talked about are going to get regular reps, I think, and we're going to get 400-plus plate appearances out of Eddie Rosario and Marcelo Zuna. So just in that, I think there's value. Especially in DCs, like that's huge value, especially where they're going. Where yeah. there's a bunch of random guys at that point in time, you're really taking gambles on. These guys are going to get to play, and yeah. that's that, that's very vital. Now, the last hitter I have down here, unless you have more after this, is Von Grossom, and it's a really interesting kind of roller coaster we've been on with Von Grossom because he had the monster minor league season, gets the promotion with all the injuries to Albies and company, played really well, really really well. Then all of a sudden, it felt like a weird platoon started, like like out of nowhere. But maybe I wasn't paying close on extension of the Braves situation. It just kind of happened. And that leads into this season where, you know, be like early September, like, oh, Vaughn's the guy. He's pencil in. He'll play shortstop with Swanson's gone, blah, blah, blah. And now there's kind of like concerns that he might not be the full-time guy still. So how do you uh, approach Vaughn Grissom heading into drafts right now as he's got a wonderful ADP of um, 182? He's interesting. And I'll say this. I think the narrative is that Von Grissom is terrible at shortstop. That's absolutely not the case. I've watched him coming through the minor leagues, and to say he's a horrible shortstop is a horrible take. He may not ever win a gold glove, but I think there's still can be a solid shortstop without winning gold gloves, and we don't need Von Grissom to be a, a gold glove caliber shortstop there. So my thing is, if the Braves did not trust him to be the everyday shortstop. They would have just re-signed Dansby, or they would have gone after somebody else via trade. But Ron Washington is probably the best infield coach in all of baseball, and he's consistently vouched for Von Grissom all offseason, and he's worked with him all offseason. Literally yesterday, here's what he said about him. He, he said that Von Grissom, it's on exciting growth all season. He said, I see things I didn't see earlier. He's got aptitude. He really, really wants it, and he's been putting in the time to deserve it. So I don't think Von Grissom would be supported by Washington and the Braves in this way if that were not the case. He's going to be the shortstop. He's going to be a solid shortstop. And honestly, I think it's crazy to say otherwise. So the good thing is that if the glove plays, then the bat's going to play because Von Grissom is a really good contact hitter that has sneaky power and speed. I'm not sure the expectations to be that he's a 2020 bat, but we look at the contact numbers. He had a 90% zone contact in his debut. This is exactly who he was his entire minor league career, which is certainly exciting because he stepped right into the majors and continued that. The power numbers, well, he's probably never going to be an elite source of power. I don't really need him to be because – He's going to put so many balls into play. He doesn't strike out often at all. I mean, we're talking about 12% walk, or stri- strikeout to 8% walk rate in the minors last year, which is pretty darn impressive. And then it's important to remember, he had less than 100 plate appearances in AA before he made that jump to the majors last year and performed. Yes, there's questions of why he was platoon. Like, why did he not play every day on the stretch? And I still have a... Some questions about that myself, but yeah. Orlando Arcia was swinging a bit of a hot bat. True. So he slotted in at second some, but it was just a weird hot stretch from Arcia, and that's not really who he was. So Grissom probably steps right in and is fine. Like I look in the projections are kind of all over the board with him. They're not sure what to make yeah. of him, which is understandable. But I think 
there's definitely 15 home run pop in the bat. And there's certainly 20 stolen base upside. Very efficient on the base pass and a good runner. And with the contact numbers that he puts up and the heavy amount of line drives that he hits, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a 275 average or better out of him. And the projection systems also see that, which is kind of aggressive for uh, someone who just turned 22 and barely had time in the majors. So I, I'm going to try to kill the narrative that Grissom's a terrible defender. And if you won't, go check out RM Layton had a great thread about him. RM Layton ate on, on Twitter. He put a thread of a ton of plays that it shortstop. Like he put in like watching like all day Grissom's glove and telling you, I've seen him live too many times and I'm telling you, he's not a bad fielder. So. All right. For fun, Mr. Braves. Um, would you rather take the chance on Ozzy Albies coming back or wait on Von Grissom? Cause they're both second base eligible. <laughs> I might take a chance on Grissom later. I mean, that's a, uh, well, it's an interesting a, pro- profile, right? I mean, it's just the the potential return on investment is just so much higher with Grissom than Albies at the price. So. And you wouldn't be shocked if they finished with see similar stat lines if Grissom played the whole season. No, I mean, I, I think Albies gets to more power, but overall, I mean, yep, there's some good return similar. Yeah, pretty close. All right. Any other hitters that I'm not thinking of, or we pretty much covered all those no. guys for it. Yeah. I Unless we want to talk all. about Arcia or nope, Sam Hillier. Nope, nope, I'm good. Nope, no, those, are guys, <laughs> those are guys I pick up in deep leagues when I'm desperate. Um, let's go to the pitchers here. And again, like the hitters, this is why they win World Series and contend loaded. Let's start with my boy Max Freed. Absolutely love Max Freed. Thing is, most people are starting to love Max Freed because he's got an ADP around 70 now. But the dude just eats innings, um, which allows him to accumulate strikeouts. And more importantly, the ratios are great. Everyone goes, oh, he's too much of a fly ball pitcher. It's called limiting contact, like quality contact, folks. This is what Max Freed does. Like, I had to make this argument last year. People are kind of believing it a little more now because he's done it for, like, three straight seasons. It's like, oh, maybe this is who he is. Um, what's your thoughts on Max Freed? Because I think he's awesome. I think he's worth the pick. Um, I have no problem with him, even if you wait on pitching to be your ace, but definitely an SP2. I love Max Freed. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what narrative you could make against him at this point. I mean, the last three seasons, we're looking at 2680 RA. Yep. Over three seasons. Pretty good. I, I get it. The strikeout numbers aren't great, but you're not drafting him as an ace. Where he's going, he's not an SP1. Yep. So I can live with the 23% strikeout rate in that range. You're right. He's an elite uh, soft contact producer. I mean, that's that's what he does. And yeah, fly balls, whatever. I mean, he generates pop-ups, not like heavy fly balls to right and left field. So – with Freed, I think we just kind of know who he is at this point. Now, should we expect another sub-2-5 ERA? Probably not, but you don't need him to where, where you're drafting him. And we're talking about the runner-up Cy Young. So, really good season out of Freed. We saw a career high in innings, and I don't see any reason we shouldn't expect 185 to 195 this year. Usually, we can see pitchers take a 10 to 15 inning step forward. He walked 4.4% of batters last year. His walk rate has improved by over 2% each of the last two years. So he was at 8.5% in 2020. Small sample, so you can say what you want to about it, but still 8.5 to 6.1 to 4.4. You love to see that. Yep. I don't really have much of an argument to make about Freed other than I just think he's really good. You can expect a low three ERA out of him. You know, Enough strikeouts to be serviceable, low walks, low whip. Across the board, he's going to get a lot of wins. I mean, 14 each of the last two years. That's a stat. The Braves win a lot of games, so that's valuable. Yep, he's a stud, absolute stud. 
another guy that's a stud who is getting drafted like an ace round pick 30 right now. And you're either team strider or you're not team strider. It feels like that is Spencer strider who had the rookie years of rookie years. And honestly, nothing against Michael Harris. I was kind of shocked. Spencer did not win the rookie of the year because you have a sub three, almost a two five year, closer to two five than sub three strikeouts everywhere. Started in the bullpen, finished on the like just the repertoire is amazing. Um, the arguments, oh, he's only got two pitches, too bad. Um, what's your thoughts on Spencer Strider? Like the, the talent's unbelievable, but there's arguments about uh, I guess not enough longevity, but uh innings pitch, two pitch mixes, is he quality starter ace material for that? Yeah, I mean he's certainly presents some interesting risk, but you can't really deny the upside. I mean, he is one of two pitchers in history to strike out 200 batters in less than 150 innings. So the only one to do it in less than 140. So the two pitchers that have done it in less than 150 were him and Chris Sale. Sale did it in 147 innings, and Strider did it in 131. (laughs) That's just insane to think about. The only pitcher in history to strike out 200 while allowing less than 100 hits. The, The numbers are absolutely insane. I guess people want to question if a two-pitch guy can be sustainable. But when you have two pitches that are as elite as Spencer Strider's, you, you can get away with it all day long. Now, the interesting thing is his changeup's pretty darn good, too. He just doesn't throw it. If he could just throw it 10% of the time, I'd be okay. Just throw it exclusively more to left-handed batters, and I'll be fine with that. Run it away from those lefties, and let's let's do the thing. But even if he doesn't, I don't care. I mean, we're talking about 98 to 100 every time at the top of the zone. Hitters can't catch up. The slider is just downright filthy. He can be fine with two pitches. So I guess the other question is like the oblique injury. He had no oblique. That's a good one too, yeah. So you have to question like what does that look like? And I, I want to say it's probably – Derek Rhodes. Derek Rhodes came out like a week or so or something on that. Yeah. Yes. That's what I was thinking. He had posted something about it and he said he found that there was not a common recurring theme in obliques with pitchers, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I do want to find it. Yeah. That's what it was. It's something like more often than not, I think it was like one in three or even less was like a, a re- reoccurrence. Like once they're healthy, they're healthy. And it's not like a, a power hitter that keeps tweaking it type thing. Yeah, so I'm not particularly worried about that. And if you're worried about his playoff start against the Phillies, he was hurt. Like yeah. it was, it was pretty clear shirt because the velo was down. Like that pitch that he allowed that monster home run off of was 93. There was clearly something not right with him and the oblique injury. So I'm, I don't know. I'm not sure I can get myself to draft Strider there. But mm-hmm. I mean, if he even let's, let's say he regresses, so let's just regress him back to a. Uh, 3-3 ERA. Let's regress him from a 38% strikeout to a 33% strikeout. Still insane. I know. And let's say he ups the innings to 160. That still looks like a pretty good valuable pitcher. pitcher in that spot. So I don't would know. you rather would you rather Strider or DeGrom? They're going right next to each other. I know. It's the, it's the fun question. <laughs> I know. I think De, I mean I think Strider throws more innings. So uh-huh. it's the DeGrom big... is the best pitcher in baseball on a per innings yeah. basis. What do we get from him? How many innings? <laughs> yeah. If we knew, it, if we knew we'd be rich. We could win the main. Such a, fun, <laughs> such a fun question with them going right next to each other. Yeah. 
Uh, another fun thing, if you're at a bar and you said, hey, can you name the guy that won 21 games last year? I guarantee you Kyle Wright's name would not come up. And that's an impressive thing looking at that stat. The dude was great last year. Kind of I, once Strider Mania came over, we kind of forgot a little bit about who Kyle Wright was because he like took over the first half of the year. Strider took the second half. But still, you know, Wright finished with a, with a 319 ERA, 33 XFIP, 180 innings, which is outstanding. And he got the 21 dubs because you mentioned good team, teams, good teams win games, good pitchers win games on good teams. Uh, what's your thoughts on Kyle Wright coming into the 2023? I picked like 120 ish. Yeah, I think he's a decent value there. And I think some people will question whether what he did is sustainable or not. I think it 100% is because Wright, while he was horrific in the majors before this year, I mean, he had several stints. He debuted in 2018 as a 22 year old. And it took him to 2022 to actually perform. But he was always really good in AAA. Complete head case when he got in the majors. But this is something that really changed my analysis a bit. And Ian Kahn talks about it a lot, is you can watch pitchers on the mound. And when I watched Kyle Wright in the World Series game in game four when in 2021, when he had to come in relief and throw those four and two-thirds innings, he, he was a different pitcher. And it was just a different mentality and at that point, like I was like, okay, like I think Kyle Wright could really be a guy next year. And we saw that. So is he likely to sustain a 319 ERA? Maybe not. But we also look in the fact that was actually kind of inflated because he had a horrific start against Oakland in September where he allowed eight earned runs. It was a bizarre start out of him at the Coliseum where he just got hit around. He allowed two home runs and eight earned. And that inflated his ERA a bit. And he still finished at a 319 for the season. So I think Kyle Wright can be a mid three ZRA. And at pick 120, a mid three ZRA is really solid. He's kind of like Freed, where he's similar strikeouts in that that range, like 23%. So I don't know. I'm kind of a fan. What are your thoughts there? Because I'm I'm curious. I've been very torn on him. I've been I, I, it's been hard for me to get in on him. I like him. I, I like him. I love the talent. I look like who's going around him. It's like, am I taking another hitter there? Or do I go like earlier and get a Blake Snell right before him? Or do I wait a little longer and take a chance on like a Nick Lodolo? Who's, you know, Kyle Wright's at least proven it for a full season. So you have to kind of second guess it. Uh, It's mainly more of a a hitters section of the draft for me. So I'm kind of missed out on Kyle Wright, if that's the way to say it. But maybe I need to reassess maybe because like everything you mentioned makes sense. And I love that comp to Freed. If you think about it in a nutshell, it's like, innings uh, ratios strikeouts a lot of similarities a lot of similarities between the two so why is one going like 60 picks you know ahead of them yeah and it's also worth noting that Wright changes repertoire completely where he started throwing the curveball most of any pitch like he ditched the four seam like down significantly and he threw the curveball 35 percent of the time and I'm always a proponent of pitchers throwing their best pitch the most often and that's exactly what we saw out of Wright like he was like, all right, screw the slider. It wasn't good. Let me throw the curveball. And the curveball was really stinking good. Had a 33.5% whiff rate on it. The sinker was a good ground ball pitch to get out when he needed it to be. And we really saw that tick up too. So all those things just kind of lead me to the fact that there is some sustainability in here. Like I said, maybe not to the full extent that we saw, but if even if he's increases from a 319 to a 35 ERA, like Still I'd be okay there. with it. Yeah. yeah. Let's go to the elder statesman of this team, and that is Charlie Morton, who 
is a guy I love to target. Like I've in years past, I haven't gotten there quite yet this year. ADP is one sixty, a lot, lot, a little more expensive than usual for Chucky. But what he does is he throws innings, he gets strikeouts, and the ratio is a roller coaster, right? Sometimes it's great. Last year it was like a hiccup, but the XFIP was three six, so maybe he you know underachieved a bit. But he just gets you innings, he gets you strikeouts, he just fills like that gap in your rotation. But you still have to pay a, a price like this for him, which you have to pay now. And he keeps getting older, and you're waiting for another shoe to drop eventually with Chucky. So what's your thoughts on Charlie Morton? This is my probably least favorite signing that they've done, and I understand it because he's a leader, and they have a young rotation, and he's a mentor to a lot of the pitchers. So I think that definitely factored into this contract. And golly, I don't know. He was so just up and down all last year. I mean, you mentioned he threw innings. That was the positive. He got you strikeouts. I mean, he struck out over 200 batters, which you know, very few pitchers can say they do. He did it still at 38. The price is what concerns me, though. You mentioned that's a higher price than I want to pay for, for Charlie Morton. And when does the bottom just fall out? And we're talking about 39-year-old. Very few can sustain an elite level there. I mean, Verlander is a unicorn in that sense where – comes back from TJ at 39 and is Cy Young. Yeah, it's real tricky. That's why I have not pulled uh, the trigger on Charlie yet, and I, I usually love to. It's just that price is too much. I want to ask you a quick question on Mike Soroka, because this is a guy that I didn't even want to draft last year because of injuries, and it, it made sense when it actually happened. But it, I almost forgot he was even you know in the rotation right now. I thought he was still hurt. But he came out in an interview just a day or two ago, like Friday, Saturday or something, and said, this is the first offseason in like two or three years at least where I'm healthy and actually competing for a job instead of just competing for my like ability to pitch. And which was really interesting for me to hear as a baseball guy because that's a different mindset, as you would know, that someone coming into camp now, not worried about his health. He's like, I'm healthy and I'm now I'm competing for a job. Like there's a difference. And we all know how good Mike Soroka was. So I don't know if he can get there this year because he's been kind of off for so long, but what's your thoughts on Soroka who we at one point were drafting like Max Fried, and now you are literally getting at a tremendous discount. I know I'm not obviously the only one forgot about him almost a 480 P right now. Yeah, he's, I mean, talk about all the weird things that happen. I mean, a fluke Achilles tear in a game in 2020, he has the surgery he tears it again rehabbing because the surgery wasn't done right. He ends up being allergic to the stitches. The dude just had like such a bad run of luck. And I think he's, like you said, the comment that he made was that, like it tells me that he's ready to go. Yep. He's only 25 years old still. Like that's yep. weird to think. He debuted at 20. He debuted at 20 years old in 2018 and had a 3.51 ERA. 2019 over the full season, he had 2.68 ERA. I know people don't like Soroka. They didn't like him then because of the K rate. I don't care. There's was elite command control. He got a lot of balls on the ground. Like he just got the job done consistently. And you can live with a lower K rate when you're getting elite ratios. And I think that's what we're going to get from a healthy Mike Soroka. And I think there's a lot to be said about the fact that he was able to have a regular offseason for the first time in two years. So he's had no restrictions. He's going to be pitching for a job. It's interesting because him and Ian Anderson are best friends, actually, and they're the ones that are going to be competing for that fifth spot. So it adds another element, too, where it's like that friendly competition where it's like, 
you're going to beat you. <laughs> and it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out because Anderson's also been – he's been working in pitch labs this offseason, and we've seen Anderson be good in the past. So that fifth spot will be fun. Yeah, and Anderson, uh, Ian Anderson. Why do I have way too many Andersons on the – well, oh, that's why. Um, he has an ADP of over 500, so almost yeah. 100 picks after Soroka. If you're hitting into like a DC, which one would you take a chance on? Honestly, I'd like both because I'm just not certain that we – Well, Charlie might not pitch a full season or something. That's, so, that's kind of yeah. my thought is that yeah. if – they may go six man in some spots just to give Morton more rest. That makes sense. And I, I struggle to say that because you, and also Strider could use both those guys yeah. or ones that would benefit from that just from an inning standpoint. But you're freed and you're right. You need to throw every fifth day. So it kind of throws a loop into it. But it's a strong possibility they could go with a six man for a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. I can't say that for certain. It hasn't been discussed, but. I mean, I would say Freed and Wright are the only ones I'm confident that throw 180 plus, and the rest could benefit from a six man rotation. So, I like it. Who knows? Uh, I like both, honestly, taking shots on them. A couple of nice late round uh, DC darts, that's for sure. Uh, let's go to the bullpen here. Osel Iglesias, when they made the trade last year for him, I said he's the closer in 2023. People are still stressed out about Doug Kimley Jansen signing somewhere. I'm like, they did not trade for him to put him as not the closer. Like he still had two or three more years on his deal. Like it was not happening. Well, he's the closer. He's electric. He was great as a closer. Great as a setup man for the Braves. I don't have a lot to say about Rysel except the dude's awesome. Uh, do you have anything else on him? And what else do you think about the bullpen that might have some spec chances for fantasy? Yeah, the bullpen's got a lot of intriguing pitchers, but I just, like you said, you, you don't pay someone or you, they traded for him and he has three years left on a deal. It's 16 mil a year you don't pay a seventh inning guy that yep. I get that. That's what he did last year, but they had Jansen as well. Yeah, they, they knew they weren't, last year. they weren't resigning Jansen and they knew that all off season. I don't care what they said at the beginning of the off season. What Anthopio said they were going to try to resign Jansen. It was, it was a Glacius's job and that's why they traded for him and they gave nothing, which is bizarre. It was just salary dump. It's angels being angels, baby. Yeah. But yeah, Glacius was so good after he came over to Atlanta and it just seems like, it's his role to dominate. He had a, a 0.34 ERA in Atlanta over 26 innings with 30 Ks. And you, you heard that right. 0.34 yep. ERA. Insane. It's yep. insane. So, I mean, he's the guy. I think that, you know, Kinley had, I think, 38 saves last year, if I'm not mistaken. So he, those opportunities are there. And he should get 35 plus, I think. AJ Minter's interesting. Minter's really elite actually and he just doesn't really get the recognition so he could get some appearances in the ninth if there's lefties but for the most part i am pretty confident that iglesias just locked into the role yeah. i'd be i'd be shocked if he disappears that's for sure um let's talk prospects real quick as you are the dynasty dugout master himself um you know usually we look for guys that are going to be potentially impactful this year and we're talking about the braves who are super young, so most of the impact might be gone, but there's got to be some because they don't mind bringing them up from double A, even as we can tell. So, what what are some names we could potentially look for on the radar in Atlanta? Well, the farm is barren at the upper levels right now, and people kind of want to use that and because they're all the bigs, right? So <laughs> the system looks bad, but think of in a normal scenario, you would have Strider, you'd have Harris and Grissom, all still prospects. And they'd probably all be top 25 prospects. So the system looks completely different if you view it that way. 
and the fact that they just don't need anybody to come up at any point soon because everybody's locked in for so long. I mean, the the line of pitchers that's waiting to get a shot is ridiculous. That's why they tr- they felt comfortable trading all those guys to Oakland for Sean Murphy because they didn't need a Kyle Mur- Muller. They didn't need uh, Roy Bersalinas. They didn't need these guys anytime soon. So it just made sense to do. But and Jared Schuster is the closest one. He's a former first-round pick in 2020 out of Wake Forest, a lefty. Last year threw 140 innings between double and triple A where he had a 3-2-9 ERA. Uh, 104 whip and 145 Ks. Schuster's a solid command guy. Uh, features a fastball. Not great. I mean, the fastball is really the issue and that I'm afraid will hurt him in the majors because it's just low 90s. Not too great of a pitch. And it's interesting because before the COVID shutdown in 2020 with the when the Braves drafted him, he was like sitting 95 consistently at Wake, but then he's dipped back down to averaging 92 last season. But he does have a slider that's elite, a lot of swing and misses. His changeup is by far his best pitch. So th- the three-pitch mix will be pretty good, I think. Gets plenty of whiffs. He'll be a serviceable major league starter, high floor. I don't expect him to ever be an ace, but you never know because the Braves are just developing wizards. Just keep so. doing it. Yeah, yeah. It's, unbe- it's unbelievable. And and they'll probably sign him for a seven year like thirty four million dollar deal or something because it's what they do and it's just I'm not even making fun of them because I'm just jealous like it's it's <laughs> absolutely impressive I don't know what potion they drink before they enter the room it's it's good because maybe these guys are all buying in on the team concept and it's like hey we're gonna get paid and survive just fine let's make it work I don't know but that's a whole other probably podcast for another day um, but any final thoughts on the Braves this was a great podcast because like I said before the show with you and then on the intro. This team is loaded for fantasy. Like, there's literally – we talk about so many teams, and it's like, you know, five or six of this and a couple of this. Literally everybody in the starting lineup is pretty much going to get rostered, and four, if not all five starting pitchers are in play for the Braves. Like, and obviously the closer is one of the elite closers. It's it's a – like I said, there's five guys in the top 55. Like, that's insane. So uh, what's your thoughts on the Braves? Well, I mean, I never try to bring bias into it for fantasy, but – it's certainly a, a talented team. It's a young team that should be a contender again. And I, I don't see – I know the Mets got better, the Phillies got better, but I don't really see much of a step back from a team that won 101 games last year. I and mean, obviously the Mets did too. So it's going to be a you know, a knockdown, drag-out fight for the division. It'd be fun top three for sure. But Atlanta has all the pieces to contend. A healthy Acuna season could be the difference. Healthy Acuna, healthy Albies, like that. That lineup could do things that we haven't seen before. So uh, that's, like you said, for fantasy purposes, all these guys are useful in some way or another. And even their worst lineup pieces, like Rosario and Ozuna, are useful in deeper leagues yeah. because they're going to play and they're going to be in a good lineup that could produce. So yeah, and if they hit, if they all of a sudden hit a hot streak somewhere here or there, like that in line can be just huge for those guys. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun year with the Atlanta Braves. But what else is a fun year is the stuff that Mr. Chris Clegg is pumping out there. So before we head out, remind everybody about your Substack and what else they can find you doing these days and on Twitter, all the good stuff. Sure. Yep. So Twitter, everything pretty much goes there at. Roto Clegg, C-L-E-G-G. Find me there. Um, Substack is dynastydugout.substack.com. We're doing stuff for Pitcher List this month. We've been pumping out a team top 15 every single day, so we've had different writers doing those. I think I'll end up with doing about 
10 or 12 of the 30s, which has been good and fun. A lot of work to write up 15 players in each system. And you might say, oh, it's just 15. But when you're deep diving, yeah, deep diving each prospect, like I've got one that's coming out on Monday for the Pirates and then again on Tuesday for the Padres. So it's just, it's fun. It's taxing, but it's good research. Like as I do it, I'm like, oh man, I was too low on this guy, too high on this guy. And it's like, I constantly adjust my rankings. I'm never content, which I guess can be a, a bad thing in some ways, but a good thing also. So, yeah, doing some work at Fantasy Pros too. You know, some articles here and there. But, yeah, most of the stuff's at Pitcher List on my Substack. Awesome. Yeah, everybody, make sure you check it out. One of the good guys on the Fantasy uh, Radar. Not on the Radar anymore. He is on the Fantasy uh, Map these days and much, much more. So check him out on the Twitter at Roto And don't go near him on a golf course because he'll smoke you. <laughs> but uh, we will catch up with him some other time. Chris, thanks for joining me, my friend. I appreciate it. Yep. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure, Bubba. Everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, your Atlanta Braves season preview with one Chris Clegg. Catch you guys next time. Yeah.